Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. So I would ask that you turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we conclude this morning our study in the Lord's Prayer. To set the table for you a little bit, to remind you where we're at, we have been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. And and in Matthew chapter 6, within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches His disciples and all those gathered around Him how it is that we are to pray, how to approach the Father in prayer. And so we've slowed down and we've looked at each phrase of the Lord's Prayer and and what Jesus is trying to teach us through those phrases. Today we're going to consider the postscript to the Lord's Prayer that Jesus provides on forgiveness. So this will be the last sermon here about the Lord's Prayer before we move on to every Baptist's favorite topic, which is fasting. But this morning, as we begin... I want to ask you to think for just a moment of the person that has wronged you the most in your life. The person that you just can't quite get over what they did to you. How they lied to you. How they hurt you. How they talked bad about you behind your back. The person you're still holding a grudge against. I want you to to see that person this morning. I want you to know their name. I want you to see their face, their eyes. And I want you to to think of what you would like to do to that person. What you would like to say to that person. Would you like to hurt them the way that they hurt you? Would you like to see their relationships fail? Their happiness dwindle? Maybe you're more... Charitable. Maybe you would just like to make sure that you never have to cross paths with them again. You don't want to think about them. You don't want to see them. You don't want to have to hear from them. To never speak their name again. Or, that person that has wronged you, that person that has harmed you, would you like this morning to forgive that person? I hope, for your sake, that you would like to forgive them. But I also know as I talk about this subject, as I broach this subject with you this morning, that forgiveness is difficult. Alexander Pope, the English poet, is credited with saying that to err is human, but to forgive divine. In other words, all human beings, we are prone to errors. We are prone to betray, to lie to one another, to hurt one another. We are prone to commit mistakes, to harm one another. To betray trusts. It's part of our makeup. It's part of who we are in the flesh, our sin nature. But it's only divine influence. It's only in following the pattern set by God Himself that we can actually experience true forgiveness or that we can extend true forgiveness to someone. In order for that to take place, we have to understand it's not within us to muster up what is necessary 
to forgive. And so, as you've pictured that person this morning, if you're thinking, there is no way that I could ever forgive so-and-so. Well, in some sense, you're right. There's no way that you can do it in and of yourself. There's no way that you can muster the strength necessary to forgive. We must depend on the Lord Himself to not only receive forgiveness, but then also to extend forgiveness in the way that He calls us to do. There's a wonderful example of this from Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. I've already quoted from that book once here in the study of the Lord's Prayer. But again, today we find another passage that is striking when it comes to the theme of forgiveness. Upon realizing that it was a fellow Dutchman, one of her neighbors, one of her countrymen, a man named Jan Vogel, that had betrayed her family and informed the Nazis about their underground efforts to help Jews, Corey was seething. Jan Vogel was the reason that she and her sister suffered unspeakable torment and torture at the hands of the Nazis in the concentration camp. Jan Vogel was the reason that her beloved father had died, cold and alone in a prison hospital. And so Corey writes, Flames of fire seemed to leap around that name in my heart. I thought of my father's final hours, alone and confused in a hospital corridor of the underground work so abruptly halted. I thought of Mary Attali, arrested while walking down a street, and I knew that if Jan Vogel stood in front of me right now, I could kill him. All of me ached with the violence of my feelings about the man who had done us so much harm. What puzzled me all this time was Betsy. She had suffered everything I had, and yet she seemed to carry no burden of rage. Betsy, I hissed one night when I knew that my restless tossing must be keeping her awake. Don't you feel anything about Jan Vogel? Doesn't it bother you? Betsy replied, oh yes, Corey, terribly. I've felt for him ever since I knew and pray for him whenever his name comes into my mind how dreadfully he must be suffering. For a long time, I lay silent in the huge shadowy barracks, restless with the sighs, snores, and stirrings of hundreds of women. Once again, I had the feeling that this sister with whom I had spent all of my life belonged somehow to another order of beings. Wasn't she telling me in her gentle way that I was as guilty is Jan Vogel. Didn't he and I stand together before an all-seeing God convicted of the same sin of murder? For I had murdered him with my heart and with my tongue. Lord Jesus, I whispered into the lumpy ticking of the bed, I forgive Jan Vogel as I pray that you will forgive me. I have done him great damage. Bless him now and his family. That night, for the first time since our betrayer had a name, I slept deep and dreamlessly. Have you ever prayed similarly for your betrayer? We all have that name. For Corey, that name was Jan Vogel, about which flames of fire seemed to leap up and surround that name. What's your name? Who's your betrayer?
Who's the object of your scorn? Have you lifted them up to the Father in the same way that Corey did this Nazi collaborator? The man responsible for all her family's suffering. My prayer for you is that by the end of this sermon today, you will be willing to do that. Even if every fiber in your being is right now rebelling against that thought of forgiving that person that's hurt you. But in order to get there, we have to see what it is that our Lord teaches us here in the Lord's Prayer. And so if you're able, I would invite you to stand together with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we read once more Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. There Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray. O Lord, as we come together today, we long to experience your forgiveness. Lord, we all carry within our hearts and within our memories the guilt and shame of sins that we have committed, perhaps even long ago. And we all recognize that apart from your forgiveness, apart from the soul-cleansing power of the blood, that we have no hope. And so, Lord, as You teach us that our own forgiveness is connected to our own willingness to forgive, I pray that we would indeed be willing to forgive. I pray that You would work in our hearts even now, that even the one here who is seething mad at this moment, that I would dare even suggest they have to forgive that person. I pray that You would quench those fires of anger. And bring us to a place of humility, of humble recognition of how much it is that we have been forgiven of so that we might then be willing to also extend forgiveness. Lord, turn this church into a community of forgiven and forgiving people. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, of all the things that we have covered in the Lord's Prayer, of all the things that Jesus has taught us to pray for and about, it is only the request for forgiveness that Jesus feels needs additional elaboration. And so in verses 14 and 15, Jesus adds a postscript onto the Lord's Prayer, a little further bit of explanation about forgiveness. Why we should pray for forgiveness, just as we have forgiven our debtors. And so here Jesus offers a simple, yet often misunderstood principle. And that is 
Simply this, if you are a forgiving person, you have good reason to believe that you will experience forgiveness yourself. But if you are not a forgiving person, if you are a grudge-holding, resenting, hateful person, then you should not expect to experience forgiveness. That is why when I ask you to picture your enemy a few moments ago, if someone came to your mind, you need to even now be sincerely praying that God would enable you to forgive that person. Otherwise, you yourself are in danger of experiencing the Lord's condemnation for your own sins. You are closer to hell than you realize. And so this is an important principle because our own forgiveness, Jesus Himself tells us, hangs in the balance. So then, how is it that you or I might find ourselves unforgiven? Outside of God's grace. How can we be unforgiven? The answer is simple. An unforgiving person should not expect to be forgiven. That's the simple principle that Jesus is teaching. An unforgiving person should not expect to be forgiven. If you want to remain unforgiven, remain in your trespasses and sins, guilty, condemned by the just and righteous God of heaven, then the surest way to do so is to continue holding on to that grudge. To wrinkle your nose at the mention of that person's name. To turn your back on them when they walk into a room. Jesus made this point very clear multiple times throughout his own ministry. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 22, we're given this exchange between Jesus and Peter. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? All right, that's a good question. How many times do you want me to do this, Jesus? How many times do we have to, to keep on forgiving this loser? that keeps on hurting my feelings and betraying me and making me angry, they're clearly in the wrong. So how many times, Jesus? And you know the answer. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Luke six thirty-seven. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And then in Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Notice the force of Jesus' words here. You must forgive him. And so we don't have the option to decide whether or not we will extend forgiveness. Or even, based on this scripture, to delay forgiveness. To say, well, I'll maybe forgive you here in a few weeks once I've cooled down a little bit. No, Jesus says if he comes to you seven times in the same day, you extend that forgiveness that day. And so unforgiveness for the Christian is disobedience. You are disobeying Christ when you choose to be unforgiving. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what? You will keep my commandments. You will obey me. 
And so, therefore, <coughs> an unforgiving person is a person who does not love Jesus, at least not in the way that they claim, and therefore should not expect to be forgiven of their own sins. An unforgiving person is a person on their way to hell. Perhaps the most clear teaching that Jesus provides on this topic is the parable that He provides in Matthew chapter 18, immediately after He answers this question for Peter. There He tells about a servant who was forgiven by his king of an insurmountable amount of debt. A debt that he could never pay off if he worked multiple lifetimes. And the king calls him and he says, I'm going to forgive you of this debt. However, upon being forgiven of this great debt, what does he do? He goes out, he finds a fellow servant who owes him a small and trifling sum, and he attacks that man. And he he throws that man into prison despite that man begging for mercy. And when the king hears about this, he summons the servant that he had forgiven of this great debt back to him and he sentences him to unending torment. He throws him into jail and says he will never get out. Jesus' point is clear in this parable. The unwillingness of this man to forgive his fellow servant demonstrates a clear misunderstanding of the king's generosity. The king's forgiveness had not penetrated this servant's cold and stony heart. And so he remained unforgiven. Now before we go any further, we need to make something very clear here. Jesus is not saying that if you refuse to forgive someone, that you will lose your salvation. He's also not saying that your salvation is somehow earned by offering other people forgiveness. Scripture is clear. Salvation is entirely by the grace of God. It's not of works. Not even forgiveness. If you could earn your way into heaven by forgiving other people, that would be a work. But what Jesus is saying is that if you refuse to forgive someone, then you have likely never been saved to begin with. You have never experienced the deep forgiveness that Jesus Himself offers you. Now, that may seem like a shocking statement. And I may have some folks really mad at me right now. But follow Jesus' logic. If you have been forgiven of the great many sins that you have committed against God, if you believe the songs that we've sung this morning, that there was a great debt that Jesus paid for us, that there was a crimson stain that Jesus has washed white as snow. All the myriad ways that you've rebelled against God and broken His laws and what you have done, what you've failed to do, what you've said, what you've thought. If Jesus has forgiven you of all of that, how could you possibly remain unforgiving towards someone who has wronged you in a far less significant way? Our sins against God mounted up to the heavens. There was a mountain of sin that we had committed against God. And in professing faith in Christ, we're claiming that we believe that Jesus has forgiven us of that mountain of sin. And yet here comes another human being made in God's image that commits a molehill of sin against us. 
No matter what it is, it's a molehill compared to what we've sinned against God. And we say, I'm not forgiving that person of that. That's the exact same situation that the servant finds himself in in Jesus' parable. He'd been forgiven of a mountain of debt, and yet he refused to forgive a molehill. And the king sentences him to torment. Your hardness of heart then, like that servant in the parable, reveals that you either do not understand the extent of your own sinfulness, you don't ex- you don't understand how great that mountain of sin against God really is, or you do not understand the richness of God's mercy. You don't understand the extent to which God has forgiven you. Either way, though, you have not experienced the heart-transforming grace of a true believer. You may have attended church your whole life. You may have taught Sunday school. You may have volunteered at VBS. But Jesus is saying, if you refuse to forgive, then the only possible explanation is that you have not truly experienced God's forgiveness. And so then, maybe you're red hot angry right now. Maybe you've been convicted of your sin of unforgiveness. Maybe you're starting to realize your need as a Christian to be forgiving. Or even perhaps you've realized that you've never been forgiven by God in the first place. We'll talk more in just a moment about how you can be forgiven. But first, as a Christian, we need to understand how it is that we can be forgiving. How to be forgiving. How do we do that? Well, this is harder than it may seem. right? It's easier said than done. And I get that. I don't want to minimize that at all. Because most usually... We do not feel very forgiving, especially if someone has wronged us severely. And so in order to be forgiving, we need to begin to separate our feelings from the equation. Because the reality is, you may never feel like forgiving that person. And so if you're waiting to forgive that person until you start to feel forgiving, then you're going to be waiting a long time. The reality is we aren't able necessarily to dictate, to to tell our emotions what they should or shouldn't feel. But forgiveness, as Jesus understands it and as Jesus instructs it, is not rooted in emotion. It's not rooted in our feelings. It's rooted in obedience. And so we simply need to decide, am I going to obey Christ or not? Am I going to do what my Savior says, or am I going to disobey? And so how you feel, in some ways, to some degree, is irrelevant. Are you going to walk in in obedience or not? If I'm counseling a couple, and the husband comes to me and says, I just don't feel that loving toward my wife anymore. I'm probably going to look at that man and say, so? You made a covenant before God to love, honor, cherish that person, to remain faithful. Your feelings, I'm not too concerned about them. Obey, keep your commitment, walk in faithfulness. And so you may not feel very loving, very forgiving toward that person. I'm not telling you you have to. I'm not telling you you have to somehow whip up some emotional response. 
But Jesus is saying, you do have to obey. You do have to walk in obedience. Now at this point, we do need to make a distinction though. Because there are some cases that despite our best intentions, true forgiveness will never be possible. And so, I don't want to place a burden on you that will be impossible for you to meet. I want to differentiate between true forgiveness and desired forgiveness. Because what is necessary in order for true forgiveness to take place? What, what, what are the ingredients that's required for true forgiveness to take place? Well, true forgiveness requires that the person who has sinned against you to actually repent. They have to acknowledge that the way in which they have wronged you is hurtful, is wrong, it's a sin. And they have to ask for your forgiveness. We rarely see this today. More often than not, we get half apologies, right? I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry you took this the wrong way, right? Celebrities are great at doing this, right? But baseball players who've been caught using steroids, well, I'm really sorry that I trusted the wrong people. You know, I'm really sorry that I wasn't aware of what was being put into my body. It's, it's an apology, but it's also shifting blame. Rarely do we get true repentance. Where someone would come to us and say, I realize how my actions and how my words have hurt you. And I'm sorry for that. Would you please forgive me? Now, many of us up to this point have probably had a really hard time imagining true forgiveness because repentance has never taken place. Repentance has never preceded it. But let's take a look back at what Jesus says in Luke 17, verses 3 through 4. Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. This, by the way, it all starts here. When someone wrongs us, our obligation is first to go to them and point that out. To say, listen, you've sinned against me. You've committed a wrong. You've done something wrong. We need to address this. And often we never get to forgiveness because we would rather let sleeping dogs lie. We don't want to stir the pot or whatever other cliche you want to use. Ultimately, we're too chicken to go and confront the person to actually rebuke them. But that's what Jesus says is the first step. Go and rebuke that person. Bring it up to them. Address it. Give them an opportunity to repent. We may be saying, well, nobody's ever came and repented to me. Well, have you rebuked them? Have you pointed out how they hurt you? That's the first step. But then Jesus says, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This is a process that I think, you may be hearing this for the first time this morning, you may be thinking, wow, that sounds really weird. Because we just don't do it that often. And so we have relationships that have been wrecked. We have people that have left churches. We have churches that have left churches and started new churches. All because people refuse to rebuke, repent, and forgive. 
This is what true forgiveness looks like. When someone hurts us, we have an obligation as a Christian to go to that person, our brother or sister, and say, you've hurt me. Can we please talk about this? And then Jesus says, if they repent, you must forgive them. I think a lot of times we don't rebuke the person, we don't confront them in the first place, because we're afraid that they might actually repent, and then that we might actually have to forgive them. That's still unforgiveness. We must forgive them, and we must forgive them as often as repentance is offered. True forgiveness, then, is a transaction between two people. When someone wrongs you, they offer you repentance, and you, in exchange, offer them forgiveness. And so true forgiveness, then, cannot be one-sided. Otherwise, if I attempt to forgive someone without their repentance, how will they respond? Forgive me for what? I didn't do anything wrong. And so until they repent, they are unable to receive my forgiveness. And I am then unable to give it. What are we to do then if they refuse to repent? Or what are we to do? In situations where the person is deceased and they've wronged us and we don't want to carry that grudge. Well, here's where I think we can have desired forgiveness. Desired forgiveness. Desired forgiveness is where a believer truly desires to forgive that person. Desired forgiveness means that I am not holding a grudge against that person. I long for that relationship to be reconciled. Wherever the bad blood is, it's not on the side of the believer that has desired forgiveness. I think Jesus actually demonstrates this for us on the cross. As Jesus Himself was being tortured and killed, what does He cry out? Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Jesus desired forgiveness that day. And He prayed that God would make it so. And in answer to Jesus' prayer from the cross, what do we see? One of the criminals who is beside Him, mocking Him, repented and was forgiven. One of the soldiers that had beaten Him and mocked Him and spat on Him and torn the flesh from His back, looked up at Him while He was on the cross and said, Truly, This must be the Son of God. Jesus asked that those men would be forgiven. And on that day, at least two that are recorded for us in Scripture experience forgiveness. But that forgiveness was not universally applied. The second thief on the cross died in his hatred of Christ. No transaction took place for them on that day. And so we can similarly desire to be reconciled to someone. And that's what I hope is true for everyone in here today. That if you have that person in your mind, that your desire by by the end of the day today is that you could be reconciled to that person. Even if true forgiveness, if if, if they never come to you and ask for forgiveness, if they never come to you and repent, that at least for your part, you desire for that relationship to be reconciled. You are no longer holding on to that grudge. 
we can desire to be reconciled to someone, to extend forgiveness. It's like writing a check. Kids, adults used to carry these things around called checkbooks. Right? They had little pieces of paper where you'd write a note and say, okay, I'm going to give you $100, and you'd have them that paper, and they could take that paper to the bank and get $100 of your money. That's how things used to work. But writing a check is a good analogy for this, because when we write a check, it's like we've already spent that money. We're, we're reckoning that money is gone from our bank account. right? It's theirs now. We've issued it. We've given it to them. But now it's up to that other person to actually cash that check. By repenting and receiving the forgiveness that we desire to offer them. We've already offered it to them. All they've got to do is cash the check. Some of you need to write those checks of forgiveness today. You need to determine that you want to forgive that person that you pictured earlier. I would encourage you before the day is out... Write that check and offer it to them. Let them know that you, for your part, want to be reconciled. And put the ball in their court to repent and receive your forgiveness. There are times, though, where despite our best efforts, sometimes all we can muster is to want to want to forgive. Right? Our feelings still get in the way. They are difficult We can't find it within ourselves to muster up the grace and generosity needed to forgive. Maybe you're there. Maybe you realize, Jesus, I've been in the wrong. I've been holding on to this grudge. And it's so hard for me to forgive this person. They hurt me so badly. Corey Tinboom herself experienced this long after she'd been freed from the concentration camp. Later in her life, while speaking in Germany, she met one of the men that she recognized as a mocking, leering Nazi guard. And he approached her and said to her, How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein. Fraulein. God brush up on my German. To think that as you say, He washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people of Blumendahl the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed. Forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand... A current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered, Corey writes, that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, 
He gives, along with the command, the love itself. And so, we can acknowledge this morning that it may not be possible for you in this moment to forgive. Perhaps like Corey, you need to ask God to provide you with a reservoir of forgiveness from which to draw. To forgive is divine. can only come from God. And we need to understand that where Jesus commands obedience, which He does, He also provides the resources necessary to obey. And so if you're having trouble forgiving, I dare you to pray Corey's prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive them. Give your forgiveness. That mustard seed of faith will grow and spring into a mountain of forgiveness. We have an infinite reservoir of grace and forgiveness from which to draw. Which brings me to my final point here this morning. Corey could not forgive. We cannot forgive unless we have first been forgiven. And so, for some of you here, I'm asking the impossible of you. I'm asking you to forgive someone and you think, I just can't do that. Well, if you have never experienced the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ, you are absolutely right. You cannot forgive in the way that Jesus commands until you yourself have experienced forgiveness. So how are we to be forgiven? Well, it is only by the grace of God. You see, we do not obtain God's forgiveness by forgiving others. No, instead, we are only able to forgive once we have already experienced forgiveness. And experiencing that forgiveness is easy. Is easy. We've already said that true forgiveness is a transaction between two people. And so maybe this morning you want to be forgiven, but have you ever asked for it? Have you ever humbled yourself before God? Have you ever repented of your sins and asked God Almighty to give you the forgiveness that He promises? You see, just as Jesus instructs us to forgive others, He says, as you yourselves have been forgiven. Forgiveness looks the same whether we are asking God to forgive us or someone else is asking us to forgive them. We are humbling ourselves. We are repenting. We are acknowledging how we have sinned, how we have broken His law and recognizing our need for Him to forgive us. And God desires to forgive you today. How do I know that? Because He has already written the check. He's already paid the price. You see, on the cross, it wasn't just the thief on the cross beside Jesus. It wasn't just that Roman guard down below Him mocking Christ that He desired to forgive. It was you. And it was me. Because we are no less guilty than they. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's true of every one of us. Jesus shed His blood on Calvary's cross to bear the guilt and the shame to pay for the debt that you owed so that you could be forgiven. He wrote you a check that day of God's grace. And you can cash it today. You can be forgiven. 
you can experience the grace and forgiveness, the reconciliation that Jesus has already purchased for you. If you need help or if you would like to talk to someone about how that can be, then in just a moment I would invite you to come and and talk to me. And just say, Pastor, I need to be forgiven. I need to experience God's forgiveness in your life. It's simple. It's just a matter of acknowledging your sin before God and submitting yourself to Christ, the risen Lord. And when you do that, you will not find a harsh and vindictive God that is waiting to say, okay, now I've got you in my grasp. Now I can really punish you for what you've done. No, you will find a loving Savior who has already paid the price. He's already written the check for your forgiveness. Perhaps though you're a believer and you realize that you have been harboring grudges, that you have been unwilling to forgive. Maybe you're thinking, well, you already said, Pastor, there can't be true forgiveness unless they repent and they haven't repented. But the reality is you've got no desire in your heart to forgive. You've got no iota, no inkling to want to forgive them. That's a problem. Maybe you need to come and repent of that today. Maybe you need to repent of your unforgiveness and ask Jesus, like Corey, to give you the forgiveness, the necessary grace that you need to forgive that other person. Come and lay down that grudge here. And don't pick it back up again. Maybe you know that you've sinned against someone without them even knowing. Maybe you need to go to someone today in this room and repent of your sin and ask them to forgive you. Maybe you're a child, a young person, and you've broken your parents' rules and they don't even know it. You need to ask your parents to forgive you today. I would encourage you, whatever business you need to take care of, between you and the Lord or you and another person, take care of that business today. So that we might be a community, a church family that is quick to repent, quick to forgive, and full of the love of Christ. Let's pray. God, we come before you today thankful. Thankful for the forgiveness that Jesus himself offers us. Thankful for the forgiveness that was purchased for us on the cross. God, I pray that everyone here will have cashed that check will have embraced through repentance and faith the gift of grace that You extend to us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, if we have, I pray that we would then commence to the hard work of forgiving one another, of repenting where we have wronged someone, of confronting where someone has wronged us, and then willingly, lovingly, offering forgiveness where we are able. Lord, where there is flames of fire engulfing a person's name in the heart or mind of someone here today, I pray that You would quench that right now. I pray that You would cause that believer to desire to forgive. And I pray that in doing so, we might find the peace of Christ that comes when we walk in obedience and love to Him. Lord, help us now because this is difficult. We need your forgiveness in order to be able to truly accomplish this task. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would dispense it freely. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, you can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.